Good afternoon and welcome to Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. As always, any of the opinions that are offered on this show are not the opinions of Howard County Community College, its faculty, <coughs> staff, students, or other individuals. And additionally, to the extent that we talk about legal matters on this show, it is not intended to provide legal advice. If you have an individual legal situation, it is imperative that you marshal all the information you can about it and go to an attorney and speak about the specifics of your individual case. With all of that said, Happy New Year to our listeners. This is the first show of 2019, and I think we are fortunate enough to not only have one of our all-time champion guests, Alan Steinhorn, but also to have a topic that would be of interest to anyone, and in particular, Howard County Community College students. And that topic today is a discussion of ride-sharing services and the legal problems and implications of same. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. It's always good to be here. I believe that you are a returning champion and that you will get the first green jacket as the, I don't know how many times you've been on, guest. I think it's the five-time show. The five-time, you I and Tom I've Hanks. Exce- I think I've exceeded that. I get the jacket with the number five on it. Yeah, you do get that. You and Tom, uh, Tom Hanks will present and Alex, it. Well, Alex Baldwin, I think. Is Alex Baldwin, too? Yes. Yeah. I thought of this topic because, you know, ride-sharing services are now ubiquitous. Even people like me use them. And once you get into that kind of thing, when you do what I do for a living, which is essentially representing injured people, you start to ask yourself some questions. If you get into a crash in an Uber or a Lyft, you know, what happens? How do you go about things? It's one thing when your next door neighbor runs into you or something, you kind of know that you make a claim against their insurance, but it's an entirely different ball game when we're talking about the ride-sharing services. So first of all, I presume you have used ride-sharing services. I have. I find them extremely convenient. And less expensive than taking a cab? Less expensive than a cab. Do you have any notion of what those companies are worth, Uber or Lyft or any of them? I believe they're worth 50 to $60 million. Billion. billion. billion I'm sorry, billion yeah, dollars. Millions of penny in the modern And economy. it's basically, an, it's an interesting issue that has arisen with ride-sharing uh, services. And that is that in the past, when you called a cab, and perhaps I'm dating myself, the Checker Cab Company, one of the biggest cab companies in New York City, always had the yellow cabs with the Checker design on the side, and people would hail cabs on the street. When you hailed a cab, you knew that the driver was someone that had been screened by the Checker Cab Company. They made sure that they weren't hiring a sexual pervert with a history of criminal convictions. They made sure they weren't hiring somebody who had 16 DWIs and lost their license. They would do background checks. They would train their drivers. Additionally, they would make sure that all of their vehicles were safe for the passengers to be in. So you would feel comfortable stepping into a checker cab, or in the Washington, Baltimore area, they had yellow cabs, I remember growing up. Sure. And you would know that that cab had probably been checked out by a mechanic regularly, that the driver is somebody that's been approved by the cab company, and you could feel safe and secure getting into these cabs. But nowadays, we use an app on our smartphone, and a Toyota Camry pulls up in the area where we are, and a person we've never met says, are you looking for a Lyft drive or an Uber drive? And you go, yes. Are you Steve? Yes, I am. And the smart application phone will tell us who the driver is. And you're basically getting into a car with a stranger who may or may not have a good driving record, who may or may not have a criminal record, and who may or may not have car insurance if you're hurt. 
So these are all issues that localities and states across the country have been dealing with because cab companies are regulated. And these ride-sharing companies were not. So there's been a lot of litigation and regulatory schemes that have been proposed by the legislature to make sure that people that step into an Uber or a Lyft are stepping into a safe situation. And there have been cases of people that have been sexually assaulted by Lyft and Uber drivers. There have been cases of people who have been robbed by Uber drivers. So there has to be some safeguard while at the same time promoting our capitalistic free trade society. Gotcha. So historically speaking, used to be livery drivers rode around with horses and then it became cars. And How many know, of you out there have heard of livery drivers? Yeah, it's nothing like taking a horse to BWI. But in any event, there were governmental entities that were established, the cab commission, that sort of thing, to make sure that these things were done safely because inevitably when there's commerce to be had, there are shortcuts people will find to take. Well, well, let me give you an example. Sure, sure. It's 2 o'clock in Fells Point. The bars are closing. I've had a little bit too much to drink, but I thought that might happen because I was getting together with my college roommates from 30 and 40 years ago. And I made arrangements to have an Uber pick me up. So I didn't drive that night. So now it's 2 o'clock. I've got a wallet with some cash and credit cards. I'm a little bit tipsy, maybe not as coherent as I should be. And a car pulls up. Looks like the guy I called. I guess this is a safe situation. I get in the car. What if I'm an 18-year-old college freshman, a young lady who's a little bit inebriated? What if I'm an 18-year-old young man, a little inebriated? Am I safe? Am I safe? So that was the purpose of all these commissions in the sure, past for, sure. li for livery drivers, for cabs, to make sure that all the people that were operating these vehicles had criminal background checks, had driving checks, had sufficient insurance so that if there was an accident, you would be protected. So now with Lyft and Uber, we are working through the problems that are associated with non-regulated companies and industries. And if I could point out for a moment, what does government do for us? Many things in my estimation, apparently not in others. Well, here's an instance of what government does behind the scenes that no one's even aware of, and sure. that is to make sure that people that pick us up in ride-sharing programs are safe and are properly investigated to make sure that they're not criminals and they're not crazy DWI people. So I'd like to get into the, an Uber or a Lyft knowing that the company has looked out for me, that they've made sure that the person that is driving that vehicle has had a background check. This is one of the issues that Uber and Lyft have had. Lyft did not want to submit to FBI background checks. They did not want their drivers to be fingerprinted. I'm not quite sure why, but that issue was resolved. But originally, Lyft didn't want to participate in that regulatory scheme. So how did that ultimately become resolved? It seemed highly important. There is, there is some means by which Uber and Lyft agreed to have background checks that were satisfactory to the government. I do not remember the exact outcome, okay. but I do know that they did not want to participate in FBI background checks. I think it could have something to do with the cost of each check. Sure, sure. But there are so many Lyft drivers, so many Uber drivers around there has to be some way to ensure that the people that get in these vehicles know that they're getting into a vehicle with a person that's not a criminal and not an inexperienced or uh, bad driver. I mean, I mean, if you're a $50 billion corporation and your IPO is going to bring you $50 billion, it seems to me that you could afford to make sure that your driver's fingerprints are on file for future reference, that they don't 
come into the criminal database and show you've committed crimes in the past and that you should be pretty thoroughly checked out and you could still make a tidy profit. Cheaper to hire lobbyists and lawyers to fight those rules than to actually pay for them to be implemented. Now, they lost that fight, and it's common sense. I really don't want to get into a car with someone that hasn't had a background check. It's just not safe. I don't want to put my children in a car with a background check. Well, and I mean, it's one of the virtues of a ride-sharing service. You can look at your phone, and you can see it's Frank, and Frank has so many reviews, and Frank has this. That's correct. And you can see his tag number. But what if we don't know whether Frank was ever investigated by the ride-sharing company? Yeah. Maybe Frank is Jeffrey Dahmer in disguise. For those of you who are not old enough to know, he's a really bad person. Stay away from Jeffrey Cannibal. Dahmer. Cannibal. This is true. Pray continue. Well, I'm just saying that a person who would prey upon people would find an Uber or a Lyft job to be a perfect way to have an opportunity to hurt people. So maybe 99 out of 100 times, there's always someone watching and the Uber or Lyft driver can't do anything bad. But what about that time at 2 o'clock in the morning when someone calls an Uber from a very remote area? And they're bombed out of their mind or something. I mean, a lot of the reasons, a lot of the times that people use ride-sharing is because they intend to perhaps have a little bit to drink at night. And that is really what we've encouraged people to do, to use taxi cabs, to use public transportation. So all I'm saying is that we need to make sure that when you get into a ride-sharing car, that the person driving it has been investigated by this company and that you can feel safe getting into that car and nothing untoward will happen to you. So there are various things that have happened in terms of these companies. One of them is that they've tried to argue that their drivers are not their employees, which means they would not have any obligation to you. Time out. Time out. So you're saying that Lyft and Uber have tried to argue that people who have been summoned to pick me up by Lyft and Uber, from whom Lyft and Uber make a tidy profit, that those are not their employees. Well, let's think about what they are arguing. Okay, let's think about that. Not my car, says Lyft and Uber. Right. It's owned by the person driving. Not my employee. I didn't hire this person. They applied to get notices from our company of customers that were out there. So really what Lyft and Uber are trying to claim is we simply pass along information. We don't operate a taxicab service. And most of the courts that have considered that have struck that down. And we can get into the legalese and the fine arts of like what's to do in Maryland law, but typically it boils down to whether the driver is an employee of Lyft, in which case Lyft is required to insure the vehicle. Lyft is responsible for the actions of the driver. But if the driver is determined to be an independent contractor, someone who has control over their schedule, someone who has control over the way they work, then Lyft or Uber is not responsible for their conduct. So when determining whether someone's an employee or an independent contract, you have to ask yourself, does the company have the ability to control the employee's schedule? Do they control the manner in which the employee works? Do they control the customers the employee gets? Do they control the manner in which the work is done? Do they control how much the person charges? Well, that seems like a lot of control because all the answers to that, those questions are yes. Yes. So most of the analysis have determined that they are employees. So the alternative to being an employee is being an independent contractor, correct? And, yes. And that would mean that if the Uber that comes to pick you up is driven by a sexual predator with prior convictions and this person drives off into a warehouse district and assaults you and leaves you to die by a dumpster, then Uber could say, you know what, we don't have anything to do with that. 
that person was on his own. We don't know who that is. We well, there's a legal concept of ultra vires or outside the scope of employment that sometimes has applicability. But it seems to me if the way that the public comes into contact with a Lyft or Uber driver, whatever their purpose is in it, is through Lyft or Uber, and that that becomes their responsibility. Is that I, accurate? I, I think that the customer has a right to rely on Lyft or Uber providing that ride and therefore making sure that the driver is qualified, insured, experienced, and is not going to do me harm. So I would think that if a Uber or Lyft driver engaged in criminal behavior towards me as a, as a passenger, and there was no indication beforehand that Uber or Lyft reasonably could have received, that there would be no basis for charging Uber or Lyft criminally for criminal responsibility. Am I right about that? Probably. Okay. There are no exact uh, guidelines I can give you in this case because it's all dependent on what the facts are and what sure. a reasonable jury believes. But generally speaking, if there is a person who is driving a Lyft or Uber vehicle that has zero criminal offenses, that there's no indication of any kind of emotional or mental problems, and that just out of the blue they commit a crime that was not foreseeable, then Uber or Lyft would be able to argue this is, as you say, ultra virus is the legal terminology. And it simply means this is outside the scope of what this person's job is and that we are not responsible when someone does something that is so outside the scope of what they're trained to do, what they're allowed to do. We're not responsible. On the other hand, if the driver has a prior criminal record and the company failed to find that and the criminal record suggests that this is someone who is not trustworthy and might commit a crime again of this type, then the company would be liable for failure to conduct a reasonable background check and for placing you in a position of harm with a driver that should have never been authorized to drive that car. Where you are unknowingly encountering a criminal that they should have known about before Correct. they paid them. So that is something that has been litigated. There have been instances where Uber or Lyft have not conducted background checks. So we're looking at criminal record. Is the driver a prior sexual offender? We're looking at a driving record. Did the person have their license suspended multiple times for drinking activity? Does the person have insufficient driving experience? I would rather not be picked up by an Uber driver who got their license yesterday and when picking me up screams, isn't this fantastic? I've never been on the highway before. You're my first. I don't want that. So the company should be acting the way cab companies act, which is we should get experienced drivers who don't have criminal records, that don't have bad driving records. What about a suspended license? We would like to know the person doesn't have a suspended license. What about insurance? We'd like to know the person has insurance. All you, these things you, you expect. You want to assume that these people are qualified and capable and are willing. Correct. So in most cases, Uber and Lyft are now aware of the danger they face should they fail in any of these responsibilities. So my understanding, having researched this, because our law firm currently has a case against Lyft, is that Lyft and Uber are both making efforts to make sure that these lawsuits don't arise. They recognize the legal exposure they have should they hire someone, or not hire, but because they will resist using that terminology. But should they accept a driver into their program who does not have the requisite experience or lack of criminal background? I mean, it sounds a little bit like they had to be pushed to accept legal responsibility and that they sort of contrived things a little bit to avoid it. Well, that is the capitalist system. I mean, our system is set up for profit. And I mean, I'll give you an example. The Ford Pinto case is a very famous case from the 1970s where the Ford company did an analysis and figured out that 
the Ford Pinto had been designed in a way such that a certain type of rear-end collision would cause the gas tank to explode, catch fire, and kill the occupant. But they did an analysis. Seems like a bad design feature. It's a very bad design feature. But what they did was they conducted a study to determine the cost to retrofit the assembly line and redesign the car. And they determined that the number of deaths and the cost to settle those deaths in lawsuits was cheaper than the cost to retrofit the entire assembly line. So when you have Lyft and Uber, initially they're going to do whatever is cheapest for them. Just like Ford Pinto said, the analysis is there won't be enough lawsuits for us to expend the money to change this. Just a few deaths here and there. So Lyft and Uber did, I think, the same kind of analysis. But now they're confronting the reality that they're not going to be licensed in certain jurisdictions because states like Maryland, District of Columbia, don't want these companies to come in unregulated and to harm their people. Additionally, let's talk reality for a minute. How do you think the Cab Association feels I was just going to bring that up. So why would they be held to different standards than the ride-sharing companies? Well, they're getting killed. I know in New getting York people killed. pay a fortune for cab medallions, and then the cab medallions are not not worth nearly as much correct. as Uber and Lyft are taking over. Ask Michael correct. Cohen about that. That's right. Well, I'd like to. Yes. I'll call him after the show's over. President's Re- lawyer got re- in trouble over this. Regardless, the value of a cab company has diminished a lot, a lot because now we have these sharing uh, services. Additionally, the cost of a ride-sharing service is much less than the cabs. So I can take a, an Uber from the airport to my house for about 28 bucks, and when I used to take a cab, it'd be about 60 So, so let me just take you, because we have finite time, down a different avenue. And it goes something like this. Let's assume that I get in an Uber or Lyft, and it's not somebody who's there to assault me, and they're trying to drive competently, and everything's working fine, and we suddenly get into a crash and oh my yes and i'm injured and i guess the question is am i making a claim against the uber or lyft driver am i making a claim against uber or lyft how how how, what's the scheme for that well i'm going to assume that the uber or lyft driver is the cause of the accident that he negligently ran a red light let's say okay that sounds like a good one So basically what happens is the passenger makes a claim against the driver's insurance company. But this is a legal fiction in Maryland. If you ever go to court, you would be suing the Lyft driver. And you could sue the Lyft company also, claiming that there's an employment relationship. But the jury would never be told, although they all know, that you're actually suing an insurance company. So is it the insurance? Like, for example, if I take my vehicle, which I usually drive my kids to school in, I, in Maryland, am required to have insurance, correct? Correct. Okay. So I'm driving my car that is insured by, say, Allstate, and I have the state minimum policy of $30,000. So if I cause injury to you while I'm driving my kids to school, then the most you can get out of my policy is thirty grand, right? That's correct. Okay. So suddenly I drop my kids off and I put on my Uber light and I get my app going and I'm going over to the airport to pick somebody up and I get in a crash. Is that person limited to my thirty grand, or they suddenly does the the Uber? Is there an Uber policy, and does it magically turn on when I start driving for Uber? Well, this is a topic that should be very important for any listeners that are thinking about driving for Uber, because it's really more important for the person driving for Uber that these questions be answered than for the passenger who might get hurt. There's probably why is that? There's probably more harm that can occur to the driver if these insurance issues are not resolved prior to an accident, then could happen to the passenger. 
So the reason is a private insurance policy, the one you get from Allstate or State Farm that you have on your car, right. does not insure you for commercial activity, commercial meaning business activity. So if I have my car and I have my $30,000 policy with State Farm, and I call up Uber and I'm approved for the Uber program and I start driving and I have an accident and I call up State Farm and I go, hey, I had an accident. And they say, well, what were you doing? And I say, I was just driving this passenger from Annandale to BWI Airport. And they go, well, why were you doing that? Is that a friend of yours? Oh, no, no, that was a for hire job. Well, your insurance company is going to say to you, you should have read your policy. There's an exclusion for commercial activity. We're not going to pay for your business use of a car. If you want to use your car for business, you have to tell us that. And you get a different policy that's more expensive because we know you're going to be driving more. You're going to drive more miles. So each vehicle with Uber or Lyft has availability of an Uber or Lyft policy. Okay. But that policy is only in effect when the Uber light, and that's a metaphor, there's no Uber light, but when the Uber vehicle is being used for an Uber purpose, the Uber policy can apply. The same thing is true of Lyft. The passenger must be in the car, and that's another requirement. I'm unclear as to what happens when an Uber driver is responding to pick up a passenger, but I've seen some language that suggests that the passenger must be in the car for the Uber policy to apply. So the really important thing to tell all of you, the listeners of the show, if you are thinking about making extra money as an Uber or Lyft driver, if you are a government employee that is now on furlough and doesn't have a paycheck and you figure you're just going to do a month or two of Uber or Lyft, you better make sure that you have sufficient insurance coverage. You better call your own policy. You better talk to the ride-sharing company you're thinking of working for because one of the worst things that can happen to a person is they are ignorant and they don't know about insurance coverages and they cause a million-dollar loss, but they have a $30,000 policy and now they've got to deal with a lawsuit that could take away assets they own or force them into bankruptcy should a judgment be entered against them. So don't think that your private policy with Allstate, State Farm, Nationwide, Progressive, what's the L one? Liberty Mutual, Geico. Liberty Mutual. All of those policies, all of those companies will notify you if you haven't talked to them in advance. You do not have coverage for commercial ride-sharing activities. So not to split hairs on this topic, but it sounds as though Uber and Lyft are kind of acknowledging these people are basically under their control. There's a doctrine called respondeat superior. Well, I'll give you the best example of okay. it. There's a case in California where the drivers all said, well, wait a minute. If we're not employees, we don't get benefits. No one's paying Social Security tax. There's a variety of things that employees get that independent contractors do not get. Right. That is one reason why companies will hire independent contractors for certain tasks. So they don't have to pay for the workers' compensation insurance. They don't have to pay for health insurance. They don't have to pay for a variety of things that employees get, such as Social Security taxes have to be paid by employers. Okay. So there was an agreement worked out, and I just glanced at the California case, but I believe it was in California. The, the Uber drivers all banded together and filed a class action lawsuit against Uber, and that was ultimately settled with an agreement that they would be treated as employees rather than independent contractors. So I would presume if they're that in California that they're that in Maryland in all likelihood. In all likelihood there is. I, I, before we came on the air today, I looked a little bit into Maryland law, and it does appear that Maryland did recognize this issue. I found an article on April 10th, 2017 in the Washington Post where – 
the state of Maryland booted more than 4,000 Uber drivers for failing state screening applications. So the state of Maryland was holding that an Uber driver had to be held to the same standard as a cab driver. And this went through the commission that oversaw cabs. So drivers can be rejected for a multitude of reasons. So Uber was not even doing criminal background checks at that point. So the state of Maryland stepped in, and there are regulations that the state of Maryland adopted that requires Uber and Lyft drivers to be screened to make sure that they're not criminals, to make sure they have driving uh, licenses, and to make sure that they have uh, car insurance. Okay. So the gist of it all is that when I'm driving a passenger in my Uber or Lyft, my coverage from my car that when I drive the kids to school would apply, does not apply, but some sort of extra policy provided by Uber or Lyft applies, correct? That's correct. But you want to make sure that when you take your job with Lyft or Uber that you've confirmed exactly what coverage they're offering you because your own company, once they find out that you've been driving a commercial purpose, you're driving someone for hire, will simply deny coverage. They'll mail you a letter that says we've conducted an investigation of this accident. And unfortunately, we regret to inform you that our investigation reveals you do not have coverage for this because of, and then they'll block it in the middle of the paragraph and it will say commercial use of a vehicle prohibited. See section 12, exclusion three on page 59. Got it. So Uber drivers driving me, we get in a crash. I get really injured. What's the maximum amount? Like we talk often on this show when we talk about car accidents, about the policy limits or the Maryland minimum limits. And what we're really talking about is the amount of insurance that you buy. In Maryland, you have to have at least $30,000 for injuring someone else. You can buy a hundred, five hundred, a million, $2 million umbrella policy. What, what, What do Uber and Lyft presently provide? Well, Uber and Lyft presently provide $1 million policies for people that are harmed by the negligent actions of their drivers. But if I could take a moment to get on a soapbox. Sure. In the last month, I've settled two cases out of court involving individuals who suffered catastrophic injuries. One was a pedestrian that was run over by a car in a crosswalk, and the other was a motorcycle driver. I have been speaking with clients of mine who tell me that they have full coverage. They have the best coverage available. Thank goodness I was uh, run over in a crosswalk, but I have full coverage. So if the at-fault driver doesn't have enough coverage, I have the best coverage. I have the best agent. I have full coverage. Well, full coverage does not mean you have high limits. And that's the operative language that's really So full coverage can be the Maryland minimum limit of $30,000. It just means you have all the benefits. It means that you have coverage for theft. You have coverage for fire. You have theft for collision. Property damage. Yeah. So if if the accident is your fault and you drive your brand new Honda Accord into a tree because you were driving too fast and you hit a puddle, normally liability insurance won't cover that. But if you have full coverage, if you have collision coverage, your insurance, and you pay an extra premium for it, will fix your car even if it's your fault. So I'm going to bring it around because we're getting towards the end of the show. It sounds to me as though if you're in even a significant accident, the million-dollar Uber or Lyft policy that would apply to you if you're a passenger in the Uber or Lyft vehicle or if the Uber or Lyft driver who has a passenger runs into you and hurts you is probably sufficient. I guess the real question is, where will Uber or Lyft come down if an Uber or Lyft driver runs into four people and kills them and each of their cases is worth a million dollars? Will they pay a million dollars on that or where do you go with that? Well, the 
Uber and Lyft policies are million-dollar policies, single limit, meaning that their insurance will not pay more than that. But there's something called excess verdict liability, and that is something that our office is actually exploring right now. Whether or not you can collect from Lyft or Uber if you get a judgment in excess of their million-dollar policy. And one would think that you could because Uber and Lyft are bringing in, as you say, $50, $60 billion a year. It seems like a person that has a $2 million case, perhaps a 35-year-old dentist who has a family of three making $250,000 a year. If he is killed by an Uber driver, he could have a claim worth more than a million dollars. His economic earning potential over his lifetime that his family might be deprived of could be five, ten million dollars. Gotcha. So the question becomes, will Uber take the chance that they are protected from an excess verdict or would Uber try and settle it for more than the million dollar policy to avoid the possibility of a five or ten million dollar verdict? I have not yet done the research to determine what Uber would do. I've not yet found the case of an Uber uh, victim of negligence having a case worth more than a million dollars. But I suspect that they would probably try and settle it rather than risk an excess verdict on their company's profits. Yeah, I mean, it's like anything else. Coca-Cola may have a million-dollar policy on the car their executive drives. Mm -hmm. But if the executive's working for Coca-Cola and he hits you and he kills you and there's a $3 million case, you kind of wonder if the extra $2 million won't come out of Coca-Cola ultimately. I I think that's likely. Let's hope that no one has a million-dollar case with an Uber or Lyft driver. Well, it sounds like it's all a little bit of a brave new world with ride-sharing companies in many respects that they've evolved, and they're now providing a million-dollar policy. And I guess the next step is dealing with the people who are catastrophically injured and making sure that they are fairly compensated for all of their damages. I would agree with that. I would simply point out maybe this is a good time to mention many of us are unaware of how government interacts with us on a day-to-day basis. And when Uber and Lyft started operations in Maryland, there was no protection for a person that was injured with a Lyft driver. And government has a function. And one of the functions is to regulate industries like this to keep us safe. So I merely add that during this federal government shutdown to say, think a little bit about the things that government does for you. And one of them is making sure that you're not getting into a car with a criminal. Thank you very much, Alan. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I hope this was enlightening. Thank you for having me. This is Everyday Law. Farewell. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.